Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with an autistic professional DJ. He's a producer and event promoter, Jake Dedinsky. He is 29 and identifies as non-binary, pansexual, and demisexual. He was born and diagnosed with mitochondrial disease when he was young. He is highly driven, very politically motivated, and full of wisdom. We cover quite a bit of ground. Enjoy this interview. Before we get into your life as a DJ, producer, event promoter, um, I, I want to know, how did you survive COVID? How did that, you, you seem like a very busy, busy person, so I'm curious how you survived that time period and how it changed you now that we're coming out of it. Yeah, uh, so ironically, actually, uh, it's funny you bring that up because um, most of my counterparts and, um, like, fellow event promoters, a lot of them canceled their events because of COVID. And, you know, I remember sitting in my room, you know, being mid twenties and, you know, I had just moved in with my boyfriend who's now my fiance. Um, and, you know, we hadn't, we hadn't really planned on a pandemic when we moved in together. So we weren't exactly planning on spending every minute of every day together for like a year and a half. Um, and our relationship was still kind of new. And, um, you know, I was really sad, and we, we had to improvise, right? So um, we found Twitch, and we started doing live stream events, and then we figured out what what could we do with this to make it worthwhile. So we started doing charity streams, and that's how we survived. We raised $50,000 for charity over the pandemic, doing various different events like a 24-hour live stream, a three-day Pride event, different video game streams, and we just kept innovating, and the next thing we knew, we were done and back to doing live events. But it was a struggle. It was hard. There were definitely times when I wanted to throw in the towel and be like, you know, pardon my language, but fuck this shit, I just can't do it anymore. Um, on top of the fact that I'm immunocompromised, made it even more difficult because I couldn't even have friends over to the house because a lot of them were working regular jobs still, so they were afraid to come over. So basically, I was isolated for like a year and a half. It was rough. Yeah, it, it was rough. And, you know, I'm curious with everything that you do, I'm going to, I want to boil it down to a, a place that people can understand this. I'm going to take you in front of a group of third graders at a career day. And one of them is going to look up at you and say, what do you do for a living? How are you going to answer that kid? Yeah. Uh, so what I do is, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, I do all these crazy things, but I just press buttons and I make people's lives better, right? Like that's, that's what I do. It's my job to perform. I consider myself to be a performer. Um, and what I would tell that third grader is that you never really know what someone's going through, right? Like sometimes you're sad, sometimes you're happy, but you never really know what the person next to you is feeling. So when I go to work, I approach it as whenever someone walks into my workplace, I want them to forget all of their problems and leave in a better place than they came in. So are you on the autism spectrum? What, I am. What is your diet? Okay. So what, what exactly do you have, like, on the spectrum? What, how would they quantify that? Uh, high-functioning autism, I believe, is the official diagnosis. Okay. Because my son's 17, and he uh, is on the spectrum. He has an extra long piece of genetic material on his 15th chromosome. So he's had, you know, developmental delays his whole life. I've been in the community... Um, the autism special needs community for quite a while, but very close to it. So um, I've been very interested in people out there in the world that are that are doing things that uh, that are quite impressive. Um, and I'm curious, when did you find out about your diagnosis? Yeah. So um, I 
So on top of having the high-functioning autism, I also have mitochondrial disease and I'm ADHD, I'm OCD, associated mood disorder, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and I knew right away uh, that I was different from all the other kids. Um, I had an IEP all through school. Um, actually, one of the things I'm planning to do in the next couple of years is probably run for school board because I want someone who went through the special education system to be on a school board to help the special education kids that get forgotten about because 98% of us fall through the cracks because people just don't understand the system. Um, but one of the, sorry, but special education is like very, very important to me. It's like one I of get my it. biggest issues um, having gone through the system. And I was lucky because my mom was a lawyer, so she knew how to work the system, but not everybody has a mom who's a lawyer. So a lot of kids get forgotten about, they get pushed around, their parents get told they need one thing when they don't. Um, and a lot of kids get on 504 plans and that's not as good as an IEP. And I'm sure you know all of this. But um, for me, you know, I knew right away that like I was different because, you know, sometimes my energy levels weren't the same. I couldn't do some of the stuff as some of the other kids. And it was difficult, right? Because when you're a middle schooler, when you're a high schooler, when you're an elementary schooler and you know something's different with people, you can't figure out what it is. It puts you in kind of this weird place. Um, where it's like, well, I want to be like everybody else, but I'm not, and I don't know how to handle that. Um, actually, one of the stories I like to tell is as I got older, I made, I started to get better at making peace with it that I wasn't going to let my condition define me anymore because I was sad a lot. I was like, well, you know, I can't this, I can't that. And eventually my mom kind of sat me down and was like, listen, if you keep saying you can't and you're not, right, stop saying you can't and focus on what you can do. Anything can be done if you modify it, right? Um, and so that was, that was what I told myself. Um, but yeah, I, I knew right away, probably around the time, um, I got my, I got my mito diagnosis when I was five because my brother was diagnosed via muscle biopsy. I was failure to thrive when I was 13. So I was like 40 pounds. I had a feeding tube placed. Um, you know, and it's, it is tough going through high school with a feeding tube. Um, because you know, I would, I actually wouldn't go to gym class because I was afraid to change in front of the other kids because I got made fun of. Um, I'm Jewish. A kid called me a Holocaust survivor because I was so skinny. Like it was a rough time. That's that, that is rough. That that's, you know, and I can only imagine it's already brutal to be young, even if yeah. you are neurotypical and then you add anything on top of that. And I know even with my son, Miles, um, you know, that's, there's just so many other factors that go into it, but I've always been the kind of parent where he's, I'm just going to, he's going to do anything anybody else is doing. It may take a little bit longer, maybe a little bit of a different thing. But I think one of the most destructive things that anybody can absorb is can't or no. And I remember John Coltrane, because my primary diet of radio is jazz. John Coltrane nice. did not like the word no. He was most definitely a guy that did not subscribe to that in the minute that it was put out there, whether it was real, assumed, or placebo, that whole idea of putting yourself in that, that place isn't going to get you anywhere. So, um, so talk to me a little bit about, you know, what, with, with what you do and who you are, how many people do you think out there run into you and have no idea? Um, that I, that I'm on the spectrum or that I have these conditions or anything like that? that yeah, that you're on the spectrum, that they would even suspect anything. Well, so one of the, one of the crazy things that people don't realize is before I became a DJ, I worked in politics 12 years. Um, I was a deputy campaign manager of a U.S. congressional race. I worked on two presidentials. Like I've, and one of the things that politics taught me, um, and this is another reason I learned I was different. You know, when I was 13, I was sitting up watching the 2000 election, right? And I wouldn't go to sleep until they called it. And my mom was baffled when she came out at 3 a.m. I was like, what the hell are you doing up? I'm like, I can't go to sleep. They haven't called Florida. 
And she, she knew right away then that that was going to be my passion and still is. Um, you know, how many other 13 year olds are able to sit there and discuss politics at an adult level? And I was always closer with the teachers at my school than the people my age. Um, so one of the things I learned in politics was how to really get over my ability to not communicate as well, to talk better, to kind of like teach myself on the fly because I had to. Um, most people are shocked when I tell them they're completely floored. Um, but the people who like know me, like my fiance, my friends, they all know because once you get to know me, it, it starts to show like as you get to know me better. Um, but to me, this is going to sound weird. Um, I'm actually really proud of my autism. Like I, I kind of wear like a badge of honor in a way um, because to me, it makes me who I am, right? It makes me unique. I think on a different wavelength. And my fiance said to me the other day, it was kind of funny. He's like, you know, this is not a meant to be mean, but one of the things that make you so good at what you do is that you aren't afraid like some people to just go out and do something like, and take a risk, even where some people would look at it and be afraid of failing horribly. You don't, that doesn't register to you because of the way your brain works. You just do it and deal with the aftermath afterwards. But most people have no idea. I tell them usually, but if I didn't tell them, they'd have no clue. You know, that's the interesting thing about Miles. Miles is on a, on a whole different wavelength, but he just doesn't have any fear. He goes right up to people and, and he's just ready to go. And Same. there's a part of, you know, and there's a part of him too that doesn't find that weird social remorse. I mean, he's 17 and I have a, a stepdaughter who's 16 and the way that she processes and goes through things is pretty typical. But for him, the beauty is, is that there's these just, blinders and and it's not put in there by anything other than just who he is and it's 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 nice for all the things that can be you know a part of that that can kind of be a drag there's so many other parts of that where you don't think about all of these other things that you know just really kind of can weigh a regular brain down yeah you know i explain to people sometimes that like you know i'll have fights with my with my best friend and he's basically my brother at this point and where he'll take a couple of days to get over things i'll be over it in like 20 minutes right like i move through emotions very quickly i don't know why i just do um and i tend not to dwell on things but because of that i can be very bouncy sometimes so it's it's, it's a good and bad sort you know the one thing i've always heard in this community and there's a lot of people that have said this is that there is a definite like the, the 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 autism community it's almost as though they're the chosen ones like there's a level of them that have that that can tap into things that other people can't and if the world would embrace that notion more instead of looking at it as, as a difference it would probably make things go a lot better um and I, do you ever get that feeling that you know there's things like you said you wear it as a badge of honor where you can do things in a in a wholly different way that the world could embrace and make things better because of that? Oh, for sure. I mean, one of, one of the reasons our event is successful, one of the reasons I've been so successful um, at what I do is because um, I, I can see things from a different perspective that most, you know, neurotypical, I guess we'll call them people um, can't, right? Like I, I look at things from a different perspective. I see puzzles. I try to solve them. Um, one of the things that I'm really actually proud of is that, you know, um, people who come to work for our event, they never leave, right? Like they consistently come and work for us. Um, when we started the event three years ago, nobody was getting paid. And I told them at the time, I'm like, listen, I just, I can't tell you how I know we're going to get there, but I just need you to trust me and trust that I will get us to a place where everybody's going to be taken care of. And we're there now. 
But, you know, someone came up to me, it was doing this at the beginning, it was like, you know, four years ago, you came to us and said to trust you, and we all thought you were crazy, and we don't know how you did it, but you did it. Um, and I think one of the things that you're absolutely right about is that people look at neurodivergence as a bad thing, and they cast it in kind of this light that's negative, because, oh, they don't think like we do, so they're the weird ones, or, oh, they're approaching things from a different angle, and that makes it wrong. But in reality one of the problems we have as a world really is that everybody tries to approach things from the same angle as opposed from looking at it from different points of view. And I think if we looked at it from our angle, from people who have a neurodivergent standpoint and looked at it, it's not a bad thing, but a good thing that could really help people, the world would be a so much different place. Oh, I totally agree. So when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, ironically, um, you know, I always said I'd be a politician or something uh, or a sports journalist. Um, DJ was something that was very close to me because my dad was a DJ at Studio 54 back in the day in like the prime height of Studio 54. Um, so that was always close to me. Um, my dad and mom split when I was younger. So my dad was kind of in and out of my life. Um, I had a stepdad who was around for a little bit. And then my second stepdad passed away uh, a couple years ago, like a year after my grandmother. Um, but you know, I, like a lot of neurodivergent kids, had a very, very close relationship with my grandmother. Um, you know, I wasn't very close with my mother, uh, and that kind of kind of just came from the fact that, you know, when, and this is not her fault per se, but when you are the mother of three kids with medical conditions as a single parent, um, and you are also having one who's on the spectrum, you could sometimes try to be a little overprotective and that led to some resentment among me and, you know, we're, we're better now. But when I was younger, there was a lot of resentment there. So I was always close with my grandmother because she got it. She got me. Um, but for me as a kid, I always swore I'd probably go into politics and that's probably still what I'm going to end up doing. Um, or journalism. Ironically, I've done all three. I've worked in politics. I'm currently a journalist and I'm also a DJ. So I am all over the place. Yeah, you're living the dream. So, you know, for someone that's as highly driven as you are, who would you consider a hero for you? Oh, God, that's such a hard question. You know, um, I think I have a couple. Um, the first person I definitely consider my hero, believe it or not, is my mother. Um, for as much flack as I give her, as much flack and disagreement as we have, I appreciate that she as a single mother raised three boys successfully, right? Like, and I understand that was hard. And I definitely appreciate the amount of effort and work and drive that she put in. Obviously, my grandmother is another. But, you know, I think for me, um, I've never really had, quote unquote, a hero that I've looked up to, per se, and said, this is who I want to emulate. I think that for me, I was always like, I want to be the best version of me rather than being or trying to emulate somebody else. Um, there are definitely people who have come in and out of my life who have helped me along the way. But I don't, I don't know if I ever really had anybody that I looked at. Like, you know what, that's who, who I really look up to, per se. If you could have the opportunity to meet anybody alive on the planet right now, who would it be? Who would you love to talk to? Oh, God, that's a court. I mean, would it, be, would it be bad to say Steve Kornacki? I'd love to just talk politics with Steve Kornacki. Oh, no. <laughs> that's good. I mean, like, for me, I'm a huge political junkie. It's like my bread and butter. Um, obvious. Like, I think I would just go bananas to sit in a room with him and talk politics for, like, hours and hours and hours. <laughs> So a quick offshoot here is somebody that's really into uh, politics. You know, we keep hearing that this is a very, very important election and the, the, the tenets of our democracy are kind of hanging in the lurch. Do you believe that? Do you think we're going to be surprised at what happens tomorrow? So honestly, um, you know, I actually predicted every state correct in the last presidential election in 2020. 
Um, I'm very proud of that. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm usually very good at these sorts of things. Uh, again, I, I don't know if it's because I come from a different angle, but all my friends before the election were like, you know, Trump's going to win. I'm like, he's not. I also told people Trump would win in 2016. Um, but I said that Georgia and Pennsylvania and all the states that flip would flip. Um, my honest belief looking at where everything is, is that I, I think that, it, you know, the Republicans should probably win back the House. That is typical for a midterm year. That traditionally happens. I think the Democrats are going to hold the Senate. I think Fetterman's going to win in Pennsylvania, um, which gives them a plus two advantage, means they can lose two seats. I think Warnock will probably go to a runoff in Georgia. I don't think the Republicans are going to flip any of the other blue seats. I really don't. Um, I think that the House will definitely go Republican, but I think that the Senate will stay blue. I think what is more concerning for me as a person is that I do think Carrie Lake will probably win her governor's race, and that is kind of horrifying for me. Um, but I also, you know, think that, yes, this is probably the most important election of our lifetime, but every election in the last, you know, eight years has been the most important election of our lifetime. Um, but this one is especially alarming. But I don't think it's going to be like Republican massive wave like people are expecting. Um, a lot of the polls have been very flawed and flooded by Republican pollsters to make it look like Republicans are ahead, setting the groundwork for them to claim fraud in the election. That's a, that's a good point. I think the thing that's most disconcerting to me, you know, I'm I'm I actually just turned 50 about a week ago, and I've always really watched politics and kept my eye on it. I am alarmed at the amount of disinformation that's been grabbed onto as truth and i never sure and now there would be parts of that that that, that that would happen in the past you know but not at this rate and not with this much hate and with this much marginalization of every possible minority or ethnic group in the world like i i, I can't believe that you know we've we've reverted so badly from rosa parks not giving that seat up i am astonished that we actually had a black president that ran for two terms and we've gotten to where we're at now. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's like an alternate reality. It's like stranger things. It's like the, the underworld. It's, it's, it's very weird. So I think what's interesting and what people don't realize, especially about politics is that um, history repeats itself, right? Like people are always like, never again, never again, never again. But we have, we have literal history books that show that history comes in waves and repeats itself. Um, I actually think as terrible as it is, Part of the reason we ended up here is because Obama won two terms and people reacted viscerally. And so because of that, now we're here. Um, and that's horrible because Obama was a great president. Um, and I think that once Trump was elected and ultimately created this open line for division and a playbook for Republicans to follow, you know, a lot of other countries followed suit. There's always been a rise of alt-right prominence, but he legitimized it. And it's not the first time in our in the world history it's happened. It won't be the last. The question is, how do we react, right? But yes, it is horribly alarming when one of the, at least one of the major news networks spews a bunch of hate. All you have to do is look at the Paul Pelosi thing. But I also don't want to say the Democrats are perfectly innocent either. You know, I think that both parties have had their fair share of getting us here. But certainly one party is way off the rails at the moment. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And you're right. And I always talk about how history is definitely a carousel. You know, you hop on and off and things do tend to go in cycles. But yeah, you know, I think that's what happened. I think there was a lot of people that were underground racists and bigots and all of that. And when Obama came in, it just threw gasoline on it. It just made that intensified. But for people like you and I that really see what a wonderful diplomat and what a wonderful politician irregardless of color that Obama was, who just happened to be black, 
it's alarming to think that 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 person that governs so well is the catalyst for such malarkey that we're dealing with right now. Such absolute, you know, I don't even know what the word is. I I, I yeah. just shake my head half the time. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people don't realize that actually, you know, I wasn't eligible to vote for Obama during his first term, but I actually campaigned for Mitt Romney. But I still have think Obama was a great president. Like that's that's my belief is that I've always kind of been an independent. Not now. Now I'm a hard democratic socialist. <laughs> but uh, you know, when I was younger, I was considered myself more independent and had split tickets before in Virginia because we had an election every year. Um, but you know, I just it's 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 crazy to think that we're here and where we're going to go. I mean, it's 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 absolutely just baffling. And I, there will be books and pod books upon books about this time in the future. Oh, without a doubt, there will be. Yeah, and that's the one thing that I've done with Miles is he is. Uh, I think the first election he went to was the first year that um, o- Obama was running, and he's gone to every election with me, and it's crazy to think that he'll be 18 and he just can't wait to vote. That's been one thing that he's always been um, really happy to be a part of. So, um, nice. so yeah, so it's good for sure. So let me ask you this. Um, if, if you could step back in time when you were younger, Say you have a dream and you can run into your younger version based on all of the wisdom that you've gained throughout your your life. What would you tell your younger version? What advice would you give to your younger self? Uh, honestly, I'd tell myself that look, it's it you know, I was a really depressed, you know, anxiety ridden kid, right? Like I just I did not see a light at the end of the tunnel. Tried to kill myself a couple times. Like I went I went through it. Um, you know, um I would tell my younger self that look, I know it may not make sense right now. It may seem like you're the odd one out. It may seem like, you know, you're different. Um, and it may seem like all these things are working against you and that, you know, there is there is just no, nothing to live for. Um, I would tell my younger self that it, it's all going to work out in the end and that every single failure or knockdown that you're going through right now as a kid, as a young adult, is going to better prepare you for what all the great things and all the lives you're going to change in the future. And that, you know, to just stay the course and to understand that all of these things build character. So if anybody wants to learn more about you, what you do, anything that's involved in your world, where's the best place for them to go? Um, I mean, I would say my Twitter, but I don't know if Twitter is going to exist in two weeks. So, um, you know, uh, honestly, uh, my Facebook is a good page. My Facebook page is um, any social media sites that I have, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, are the Lobo website. Um, but honestly, like, I'm super approachable as well. Like, I'm always happy to talk to anybody. Um, they can contact me pretty much in any form of media. Um, I just, you know, I'm a, I'm a talkative person. I like to talk to people. <laughs> right on. Final question I have for you is everyone has a perception or an idea of who they think you are, your family, your friends, you know, clients, fans. But ultimately, you live your life. You have a perception of you. Who do you think you are? You know, this is always a tough question for me because a lot of people see me in this light, like you said, of, you know, oh, you run this event that's changing lives all over the country, or, oh, you know, you're making such an impact, and this, that, and the other. Um, For me, I oftentimes describe it as I'm really good at taking care of other people, but really bad at taking care of myself sometimes. Um, And, you know, um, I see myself as someone who just presses buttons and is just trying to get by day to day and do the best that they can and 
look, you know, if I can leave this world in a better place than I found it, that's really my only goal in life at this point, is to just do the best I can, help out where I can, you know, um, try not to be too hard on myself. And, you know, I kind of just see myself as a dork who who, who presses buttons. <laughs> Sometimes not even that well. <laughs> man, that's great. Jake, this has been wonderful, man. Thank you for opening up. Good luck with everything. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, music, and medicine from around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Uh -huh.